that we leave all those things that are burdening us outside these walls. And right now, just spend the time to, to hear what you have to say, Lord. Lord speak to our hearts right now, Lord. We, we encourage us and show us your truths. Show us how great your mercies are. Show us how great your com compassion is. And more importantly, how grace, how grace, how much grace you've given us. You are an amazing Heavenly Father. Father that is beyond anything we can ever ask for. Use me right now, Lord. Use me to, to speak your truth. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've been in allergy season, and uh, I know a few of us at home have been really suffering with these allergies. And, you know, it... I know there have been times I haven't been able to get any sleep. I haven't been able to get any serious rest. I know my son over here, he's, he's been, you can see his, just his, the look in his face, his eyes are all swollen. Um, but again, that's just, we know that the Lord is just, you know, again, he's good like that. I mean, he shows us again that we are, we're not perfect and, you know, we do have, these illnesses and there are things out there and and I hope that if you are suffering from those things I, I, I do I hope that you um, just trust in the Lord and we're going to be seeing a story today where um, we have two individuals that completely trusted in the Lord that completely uh, had believed and and they were healed as a result our passage this morning consists of two stories intertwined into one these two stories involve two different people from two ends, two different ends of the social and economic spectrum. One was, from a f one was famous and one was anonymous. One was wealthy and one lived in poverty. One was a leader of the synagogue and one was prohibited from entering it. One had a house full of laughter and joy for 12 years and one lived with misery and despair for 12 years. Our main lesson this morning is that the hope that when all hope seems to be lost, all you have to do is turn to Jesus. Once you begin to believe in him, you'll realize that, as, that he's not as far as you think. And he will meet you and minister to you exactly where you're at. So again, if you haven't gone there, um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse, in verse 21. Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was out by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and kept begging him, My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she may, she may get well and live. Now, Jesus has, and his disciples have, had left the, the Gerasenes area, the Gerasenes region, um, and we saw that in chapter 4, what was going on there. Um, the Gerasenes regions and crossed back to the other side. 
Now this confirms to us, what this shows us is that what the Lord had led him to do there in, in the garrisons, obviously he had fulfilled that purpose. Because he didn't, you know, the, one of the things we saw last week was the crowd wanted him to leave. But the Lord again knew and understood um, Jesus knew and understood the Lord and, and his Heavenly Father, and he crossed back to, the, to, to Capernaum. Um, again, he had fulfilled his purpose that God ha- had for sending him to the Gerasenes area. And now he was on his way back to the, to the area of Capernaum. When he returns, he sees a large crowd that were still there waiting for him. In Luke's account, we're told that they welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, what an amazing scene to see. He gets, he's on his boat, and... As he gets to, store, to the shore, he sees all the same people that, that had, he had just left, and they're all there. They basically all camped out. They all stayed there um, waiting for Jesus to come back. Again, what an amazing picture of faith. What an amazing picture of people just being, knowing, and waiting just for Jesus. Now, also in verse 22, we're introduced to a character named Jairus. Now, just as a side note, his name, his name Jairus means one who God enlightens. Now, he, we're told that he was one of the local synagogue rulers and probably, again, this is just, you know, a, a stretch here. He probably had his first encounter with Jesus when he allowed Jesus to speak at, at, at his synagogue. We know that that's what Jesus was doing in the beginning, going throughout the region, um, the Galilee region, and speaking at different synagogues. So he probably had his first encounter when he allowed Jesus to speak. Now, also, he may have also been a witness of the healing miracles that Jesus had performed. He probably was there, too, as a witness. And seeing Jesus drive out demons, seeing Jesus heal people person after person. Well, if he had any initial doubts about about the claims of Jesus, it took a tragic event to completely change his mind and his heart towards him. You see, Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was dying, and he begins to search for that one person he absolutely believes can heal her. And in verse 23, when he finds Jesus, he falls on his knees and and begs him to lay his hands on her. Jairus had had gotten to that point, had come to that point where he believed that if Jesus could just touch his little daughter, if he could just lay his hands on his, little do- on his little daughter, she would be healed. Now, Jairus exemplifies for us the type of person that seems to have everything going for him. I think we all know those, you know, that person, that those, maybe those people that just seems like, man, they got it all. They got all kinds of, you know, they just have the wealth, they have the toys, they have the perfect this, perfect job. And... Um, Again, it seemed like everything was going for him. He was wealthy and a well-respected member of the community. He was a religious and moral leader. He was a loving husband and a loving father. He may have even been the type of person that just believed that as long as he was doing good, as long as he was working in the synagogue, as long as he was one of those leaders, as long as he was just being a good person, only good blessings would come. Now again, I imagine him being that type of person that also was, that was just coasting through life. Just coasting through life, avoiding any major obstacles, avoiding any major, anything that was going to be too difficult for him. 
and just coasting through life again without having been dealt with a major life crisis. More than likely, he knew about the controversies surrounding Jesus and may have even been and maybe even seen and been impressed with how he had radically, how Jesus had radically transformed lives. But up until this point, up until this moment, the whole following Jesus thing just wasn't necessary for him right now. Just wasn't, he didn't need it. I mean, why should he if everything's going so well? And again, we, we see that so much. Maybe we used to think that way. Maybe we, see, we know people that, that are just like that, have that mentality. You know what? My life is good. I don't need Jesus right now. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before, the, before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. When things are going well, it's easy to dismiss or even ignore every attempt God is making to reveal himself to you. Unfortunately, like Jarius's case, it isn't until something precious is about to be lost that causes a person to see the, to see the need and reach out to someone greater than themselves. Jesus sought after Jesus. Jarius, I'm sorry, sought after Jesus because of what he had seen him do to others and finally came to believe that Jesus could and would help him too. Now, when he came to Jesus, when he came begging at his feet, did Jesus reject him and say, you know what, you had your opportunities. I was there in your synagogue. I was, you saw the miracles and you saw what had happened and you, and you just reject me. So I'm now I'm going to just reject you. I'm going to ignore you. Did Jesus do that? No. Jesus listened to Jairus and saw a broken man and saw his heart and saw that it was just that he was yearning and he really believed in Jesus. He saw a broken man whose heart had been humbled. Let me assure you of this, assure you of this. Jesus won't reject you either when you come to him with the same heart. When you come to him with a broken and broken and humbled heart, knowing your condition, knowing your circumstances, knowing there is no hope besides him, he will minister to you too. He will hear you. He will just embrace you and just say, yeah. I see you, and, 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 and that's what Jesus is looking for. Many times, again, we come to him, and we're like, I, you know, I, yes, Lord, I, I believe, yes, Jesus, I believe you're, you know. But again, he sees, he knows what's in the heart. He knows what's going on in there. Jesus won't reject you when you come to him with the same heart. It says in James 4.10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now in verse 24, it appears that Jesus agrees to go with Jairus to help his daughter. And it wouldn't surprise me if Jairus, as Jesus agrees to go with him, if Jairus was pretty much trying to do everything he possibly could to avoid any delays. But there was. It was a delay, and we'll read about it right now, starting in verse 24. Am I picking up? So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against them. 
a woman was suffering from bleeding for 12 years. A woman, I'm sorry, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Instantly, her blood flow ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, Who touched me? So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Now as Jesus begins making his way to the home of Jairus, mobs of people are just surrounding him. Now, in my mind, I, I've been to several concerts, I've been to several, and I've been up there in the front and know how crowded it can get, how you're just smushed and just mobbed by people. They just surround you, and all of a sudden, you're just full of sweat. Everyone's sweat is just on you, and it's, it can be chaotic. And when, you're, when you've had enough trying to get out of that mob, it's just as hard. Well, here we see Jesus again in that same situation, trying to just walk to Jairus' house, and he's surrounded by mobs of people, pressing up against him from every side. But you see, Jairus wasn't the only one who had immediate needs. There was people there, too, that wanted Jesus just to, to heal them, to touch them, to, to meet them, and to minister to them. And we also know that there were probably others who were just curious to see who this man, who this man was. Who this man was that everyone was talking about. Who this man was that they heard all these, that they heard all these miracles were coming from, that they were coming from him. The curiosity was there. So again, you just have people after people just there. And in verse 25, and when then someone out in the crowd then we're told that someone, there was someone out in the crowd who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Most scholars believe that this woman suffered from a severe menstrual, menstrual disorder that caused her to have a persistent blood flow. This would have meant that she, would have been, she wouldn't have been allowed to have any form of contact with anyone. You see, according to Leviticus 15, she would have been considered unclean. And anyone or anything else she touched would have been unclean as well. So you see, she had gone 12 full years without a single touch, without a single hug, without a single just handshake, embrace, all alone. I asked, you know, I was talking to my, my wife and I was asking her, what would that, as a female, I, t I, I couldn't imagine because I'm not one, but as a female, what would it be like to have a consistent blood flow for 12 years? And the first thing she says is just miserable. You just, 
you're always, you would just always be, you just wouldn't feel right. And, and, and we, then we got into the medical part of it and, and maybe, you know, maybe she would be suffering from all kinds of ailments as well and being anemic and being tired all the time. Her health probably wasn't, wasn't, wasn't good either. And we also see in verse 26 that this woman, not only was she shunned by society or she didn't have any contact, but this woman had seen every doctor around. And according to Luke's account, it says it cost her, that it cost her every penny that she had. So doctor after doctor after doctor. She spent money and her wealth, everything that she had on these doctors and no one was able to help her. What a terrible situation to be in. Where just everywhere you go, there's a glimmer of hope and then nothing. And nothing happens. So not only was she suffering physically, but emotionally and, and she was emotionally and financially depleted as well. This was also a broken woman who had run out of options and had lost all hope until, as we see in verse 27, she heard about Jesus and she came to believe he could heal her. So when she saw him, when she saw Jesus there in the distance, she waited and looked for the right opportunity. And as Jesus walked right past her, we're told that she came up from behind him and just touched the edge of his robe, the edge of his garment. Other translations, other translations say that it was the, this tassels on his robe. There was no physical contact. She didn't want, she, again, she knew about this law and respected Jesus enough not to say, you know what, I'm not, to say I'm not going to defile this man. I just, I'm just going to touch his robe. You see, her faith in Jesus was so strong that she came to believe that just touching the tip of his robe would heal her. However, it should be clear that it wasn't her faith in the garment itself. It wasn't her faith in, in this piece of cloth that made her well. Rather, it was her faith in the man wearing that garment. There's a lot of churches out there, a lot of people out there who believe, who say, hey, send me this much money, I'll send you a piece of, piece of cloth that I blessed and that I put holy water on there and, and you're going to be healed. Their faith, again, these people who are doing this are being deceived. Their faith is being put on the wrong thing when their faith should be placed on the man, on the man Jesus, again, wearing that garment. He is to be our source of faith. She could, have, she could have touched the tip of his sandal, just the, the back edge of his sandal. The same thing would have happened. It was the man, Jesus. It was her faith in Jesus. And then we're told in verse 29, just like that, just like that, she was healed. It says in verse 29 that instantly her flow of, instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. And something happened to Jesus as well. 
she realized she realizes she was healed. And then Jesus too realized something something was wrong. Again, he was surrounded by all these people. And he sensed and he realized that something had just happened. Power had just gone out from him. Now he was familiar with this power. He knew what this power was like because he had healed. We already saw and seen in in the previous chapters that he had healed others. He had healed them and he knew what it was like to be used by God so these people would be healed. So again, he was familiar with this power. So having felt his familiar power leave him, he naturally asked, who was it? Who was it that touched me? Now, now, again, according to Luke's account, when he asked his question, everyone simply denied it. Everyone was like, no, it wasn't me. Either they were silent or they no, it wasn't me. I didn't touch you. But, but again, it was, it was obvious. He, he was surrounded by people. Now, in verse 31, it, uh, it doesn't surprise me the reaction of the disciples. It says, they said, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? It doesn't surprise me that this question confused the disciples. You see, they probably thought Jesus was talking to them. But they had no idea. They had no idea that Jesus, they had no idea the power that had just left from Jesus. They had no idea that what Jesus had just felt. So it makes sense why they responded the way they did. However, and this is what's so great about Jesus, however, I believe that he was specifically addressing this question to the only person that was affected by the power that had just gone out from him. I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid, my, my, one of my school teachers, one of my, one of my teachers wanted to teach us a lesson on integrity. He wanted to test our integrity by leaving a dollar bill in the middle of the classroom floor. We were all gone, recess, lunch, whatnot, and when we came back, we all noticed that there was a dollar bill there, and he was just in his desk writing away. Now, yes, I was tempted to pick it up. I was tempted to pick it up and just put it in my pocket, because, hey, it's a dollar, you know? And the dollar, back when I was a kid, you could still buy candy. You know, is it almost $2 now, you know? So, yeah, I was tempted to pick it up. But why? Again, I mean, it's, I don't know why, again, I, I picked it, I didn't pick it up. But anyway, somebody did. And what he was trying to show us again was, what, you know, he came up and was talking to the, to the class and saying, hey, um, I know someone, someone picked up that dollar. I dropped it. And who was it? And I can just, I just know whoever it was that picked it up was just sensing, was, was having that ugly feeling inside. I mean, you probably know what I'm talking about. You just, you know that you did something wrong and you, uh, you shouldn't have done that and now you know this teacher's talking about you or this, you know, and, and so finally he confessed. He didn't get in trouble. It was just a lesson he was trying to show us and he talked to us about integrity, honesty. But what we see here 
is a woman who just felt that same guilt for not speaking up. Again, it's possible this woman may have initially denied it by keeping silent, but she knew it was her. She knew it was her that Jesus was talking about. No longer being able, able to stand the conviction that was burning within her, she confessed to Jesus that it was her that touched him. And then in verse 34, and then we see it in the most tender and most compassionate manner. Jesus tells her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. His response indicated to her that her faith in him was what made her, was what healed her. We then see that, we see that he sent her away with peace, with the peace and freedom that she didn't have for 12 long years. 12 long years of bleeding, 12 long years of affliction, of, of feeling horrible, feeling dirty, feeling just, like, just unloved, miserable. And now she was free. Now she had been delivered. And now she was given a peace that she never felt for, that she hadn't felt for 12 long years. While, now, while initially it appears that this story is going to be about Jesus helping Jairus, this woman appears out of nowhere and her story is thrown in the mix. But see, unlike Jairus, for 12 full years, this woman endured setback after setback, one disappointment after another. And again, if you remember about Jairus, he was a wealthy member of the community and well-respected member of the community. She was penniless and shunned by society. And while Jarius lived for 12 years in a house full of joy and laughter, she suffered 12, she was in, for 12 years she was in constant pain and discomfort and lived in hopeless despair. She had reached the end of her rope until she heard about Jesus. Now what's important to note as well is that this woman came to believe in Jesus by merely hearing the word. Again, unlike Jesus, unlike Jairus, he saw Jesus. He, saw, he probably saw the miracles that were going on. But someone just came to Someone just approached this woman and told her about Jesus and what he was doing she came to believe. She was like, yes, he's what I need. He's what I've been looking for for 12 years. She came to believe. Her heart was just there at the right place at the right time, and she received the word, and it completely changed her. And this is where we begin to see how similar people actually are when they're stripped of their pride and are broken from within. You see, the best condition a person can be in to accept the healing grace of Jesus Christ is when they've been completely emptied of themselves. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and look, new things have come. When you've been emptied of your pride and your selfishness, Jesus will come and give you a humble and selfless heart. When all your idols have been torn down and demolished, Jesus will come in and be the source of all your needs. And when you realize that all, when you realize that you're all alone and there's nowhere else to turn, you can come to Jesus and, and he will never reject you and he will never abandon you. This heal, the healing of this woman was a, also a unique situation that involved a much broader plan than we probably know about. When someone comes to Jesus with that same faith, God will uniquely move within that person according to his will and will do it in a way that will also, that will also bring him the most glory. Let me repeat that. When someone comes to Jesus with that same faith, God will uniquely move in that, in that person according to his will and will do it in a way that will also bring him the most glory. Now, coming to faith in Jesus may or may not result in physical healing. And it's, it's unfortunate that many people do. They come, they hear these other preachers and pastors and say, they tell them, make promises to them and Again, nothing happens. And then you have another Christian with a wrecked faith. And it's just, it's sad. It's sad to hear about. It's, it's sad to hear about. It's sad to see. But this is what I'm trying to say. We have to trust Jesus. We have to trust God that he has a bigger plan for keeping a person in whatever physical state they're in. It's a much bigger and broader plan. We also have to keep in mind that these bodies of ours, those bodies that you have, are just a mere shell of the future glory that awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, yeah, I, I'm suffering from my own little aches and pains and afflictions and here and there, but I know I, I whether the Lord heals me of these things, I don't know. And, and, and really, I don't want to, I don't want to, don't get me wrong. It, uh, I don't mean that it doesn't matter, but it doesn't. Because I know that inside is what matters. He's healed me from within. He's restored me from, this, from within. I'm a new person. So this, this body, this, this thing I have, yeah, you know, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to just... But I know this isn't what my, the future glory that awaits me. See, Paul, he suffered too. He was a great man, a, a great man that was used by God. But we see, we read and hear about this thorn in his flesh that never went away. And still God used him. And still, he, he glorified God, and others glorified God because of the message he gave. 
we may not be physically healed, but inwardly, we are. You've been changed. You've been given a new life. All because of Jesus. Again, during this entire time this was occurring, the only thing on Jerry's mind was his daughter. And that would be on my mind too. That's the, that would be the only thing, like, Jesus, we need to get to my daughter. We need to get to my, to my, to my little girl. She's, she's dying. She's suffering. And, and, and I know that this woman needs your help. And I know you're, you're teaching a lesson here. And I know, but my daughter, my little girl. I can see that being on his mind. So I'm sure any delay wasn't helping his level of stress and anxiety. Unfortunately, as he's waiting for Jesus to finish talking, we, we were about to see that, his, that he's about to get the worst news of his life. Let's pick up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue's leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother to teach her anymore? But when Jesus overheard what, what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They started laughing at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those that were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kuum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that, no one should be, and, and said that she should be given something to eat. In verse 35, Jesus wasn't even done speaking when Jairus, Jairus gets the news that his daughter is dead, has died. And then he's told, don't even bother with the teacher anymore. Don't you just leave him alone. He's, he's ministering. He's doing his thing. Just come home. Don't even bother with him anymore. <coughs> and, and Jesus overhears this conversation and tells and just looks at Jarius. Knowing what he was feeling inside, he just looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Now this belief, when he was telling us, belief was an action of a, just a continual belief, meaning just keep believing. Don't stop believing. Keep going. Don't give up. Jarius could have said, thanks, Jesus. Thanks, but never mind. I don't need you anymore. I'll figure it out from here. How many times have we done that in our lives? Something tragic, something terrible happens. 
And then we say, you know what, Jesus, you can't fix this. I've got to figure this out. I've had to learn throughout my entire life to work my own problems out, to deal with it, to suck it up, to man up. I know I've done it so many times. I've just said, hey, and I've said, Jesus, I, it's all right. Do your thing. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to take care of this. But no, again, he didn't. He didn't say that because we see that they continued on to his house. Now from that point, Jesus instructs that only Peter, James, and John will continue on. We're going to continue on with him. Not because they were more special than the other disciples, but because there was a purpose behind it. I don't want to get into another 30 minutes of of the full purpose, but we see in Acts 9 one of those purposes. Now in Acts 9, Peter essentially does the same thing. He goes to this this house, and the little girl is, is resurrected by the power of Jesus essentially the same way. So yes, there was a purpose behind him taking Peter, James, and John. And also, he was with them during the transfiguration. And I mean, again, there's a whole lesson when, when it comes to that. But there was a purpose, also a purpose behind that. Now, when they arrived, Jesus notices all the commotion. Matthew 9 says there, that along with the crying and the wailing, there were flutes playing and, the no- and a noisy crowd. So he gets there and just... All these people are crying. All these people are yelling. All these people are wailing. Flutes are playing. It's just a, that's why he says this commotion. What's the deal with this commotion? Loudness. Just that chaos that there is no, nothing is sinking. Now, also due to, Probably due to the wealth and influence Jarius, of Jarius, he was probably able to hire professional, or his people were able to hire professional mourners. And that's what we see, just also, just also these people were hired. A lot of, maybe they just didn't even know the girl. And they were just here, again, causing commotion, causing all this ruckus. And again, as he approaches, he sees the people that are willing, that are crying, and he tries to comfort them by giving them some assurance that she's going to be okay. He says to her, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. But what do they do when they hear this? They all just laugh, laugh at him. What do you mean she's asleep? You don't think we think we're stupid and we don't know what death is and we don't know what a dead person is? If these were hired professional mourners, they would know exactly what dead, death looks like. They had been around it and they, they know. They, it wasn't, you know, you have people out there that might think that, oh, she was in a coma or, or she was just unconscious or whatnot. They make medical excuses. But no, she, she was dead. And that's why these people were just laughing at Jesus. What are you talking about? You're crazy. How is she going to be okay? How is she? What do you mean she's not dead but asleep? 
they knew, again, they understood what death was, and that's why it was just funny for them to hear what Jesus said. And upon hearing this, again, he just says in verse 40, Jesus tells everyone, you know what? Everybody leave the room. Everybody just scatter. Everybody just get out. And everyone does. Everyone leaves the room except mom, dad, and the three disciples. And then they all go into this room. Now, without any hesitation, Jesus walks up to this little girl, this 12-year-old little girl, and says to her, little in, in Aramaic, and he probably was speaking in Aramaic because it was, it was just a, it was more tender. It was a more tender sound. I mean, I'm, I just butchered it when I read it, but it was probably more tender. It's probably something that she was she was able to recognize. But it says to her, it says to her in Aramaic, in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse forty-two says that she immediately got up and began to walk. And those in the room were utterly astonished, astounded. Now, after this happened, Jesus only instructed and commanded two things. One, he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. Now, why do you, why do you suppose that? See, Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry, as he was teaching, he didn't want this to be the main focus of his ministry. People were already crowding him about the healings and about um, the driving away demons. And he didn't want this, now this, the, the raising of the dead to be another focus of, you know, he came, his main purpose was to share the good news about himself to share the good news about why he was here, why he came, why God sent him. That was his main purpose. Yes, God used him to, to do all these other miracles, and to, but that was just evidence. That was just to be evidence of, of, of the power that God, that God was giving him, the, the power of his, his uh, divine nature. He didn't want people's focus to be on anything else but on the message he was delivering. And what we find out in another one of the other, I believe it's Matthew, was that the word spread. Somehow, I mean, this girl, little girl walks out and, and they may have listened and not said anything, but all those other people that were there, they, they knew something, this wasn't, you know, this, this oh. So it says the word just spread. It went out there and everything about Jesus again, there was, there was no hiding who he was. And there's the second command, or the second thing he told him to do was that, that she should be given something to eat. And the only thing I can think of was this girl was hungry. Girls gotta eat, right? <laughs> Give her something to eat. He needed a little bit of strength. And I can see just them giving her just every portion of what they had in the house. And maybe this was supposed to be a, 
a mourner's party, but now is turned into a house of celebration. See those donuts back there? She probably was able to have all the donuts she was, you know, able to eat. I have, I have a little girl myself. And I love her, and she brings me so much joy and happiness. I love hearing her laugh. I love joking with her. I love, you know, playing tricks on her, and just I love it when she scratches my back, and and when I scratch her back, and when we cuddle, and it's just it's a great feeling. You know, I read a story like this, and I can I could put myself in his shoes, and I know that I would be completely devastated if she wasn't with me anymore. I would be completely heartbroken if something tragic happened to her. The emotional pain Jarius must have felt when he heard the news about his daughter's death, it's something I hope I never have to endure. I hope I never have to go through. Having a daughter allows me to have a better understanding of this, of this entire situation. I can put myself in his shoes and have absolute sympathy. From the moment he was told that she was dead to the moment she was ra Jesus raised her from the dead. I can just feel that same, those same emotions. And when and when did and when she did when she when Jarius when I'm sorry when Jarius found out that his daughter was dead, Jesus told Jarius, "Don't be afraid. Only believe." The fact that they proceeded all the way to the girl's room, all the way to his house, speaks volumes about the faith Jarius had in Jesus. It reveals to us that he never stopped believing, that he did. He listened to Jesus and he kept believing every step of the way. Every footstep to his house, he kept believing. He never gave up, despite the fact that his daughter was dead. Despite all the evidence that his daughter was dead not knowing exactly how Jesus was going to help, Jarius continued on to his belief in Jesus nonetheless. And not only does his faith speak volumes, but the very fact that his wife was counted among those who were allowed to go into this room also reveals to us that she believed in Jesus too. She trusted and believed that he was going to do something. Maybe she did, they didn't know what, but he was going to do something. He trusted in that. Now let me ask you, if you were presented with some kind of devastating news, would you continue to trust and believe in Jesus? In spite of the fact and evidence that nothing could change the outcome, would you continue to trust in him and believe in him that he's going to do something in spite of the fact and the evidence that nothing can change the outcome. For instance, if you lost your home, would you trust that Jesus would take care, of, take care of you? If you lost your job, would you trust that Jesus 
would provide. If the doctor told you that you only had six months to live, would you trust that he has something he wants you to accomplish, that he wants to accomplish through you in those six months? When all seems lost and all hope seems to disappear, Jesus wants you to not be afraid. Only believe. I believe that as Jesus continued to walk, as Jairus continued to walk with Jesus to his house, his faith, his faith grew stronger and stronger. That's why it's so important that you continue to keep your eyes on Jesus. Continue to keep your focus on the person that's walking with you, that's walking beside you, the person that will never abandon you. And as you continue again, as I mentioned, your faith will grow. You will see that you can try. He just gives you that sense. Yeah, trust me. Everything's going to be okay. As you continue to walk with him, you're going to see that he builds you up, that he gives you that confidence that again surpasses all knowledge. And he's going to make sure that you never forget his promises found in the Bible. And when you get there, and when you're walking there, forget about all the noise, all the commotion, all, the, all those things that are just out there. They're just there to distract you and keep your you know, eyes and focus off the Lord. Keep on believing. And don't stop from believing. Don't stop believing. And then just stand back and witness Jesus do what everyone else believed would be the impossible. God has been known to do that. God has been known throughout the Bible to do the impossible. When everyone thought there's no way, no possible way, God did it. God came through. The story of Jairus and this woman show us, show us the authority Jesus had over sickness and death. But along with that authority, we also see his compassion towards those who are suffering. You see, when all hope seems lost, all you have to do is turn to Jesus. You will discover that Jesus will minister to you the most when you begin to realize that there's nowhere else to turn but into his loving arms. I ran into this short prayer, and I, I think it's something that we all need to keep in mind, maybe memorize in our hearts. Very simple. It says, Dear God, if today I lose my hope, please remind me that your plans are better than my dreams. We all have Expectations. We all have these dreams of what life is going to be like. But God is bigger than that. He has a bigger plan for us. So when things don't go our way and, and we, it just seems like, you know what, this, this will never happen and it's hopeless, and we have to keep in mind that Jesus' plan is bigger than what we can imagine. And he's a good and wonderful father. And he wants what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. 
And that's what we have to keep in mind. You know, maybe there's, you know, for all of us, you know, maybe for, for you know, we've all come to a point maybe sometime in our lives that we just lose that hope. Or we don't have no hope at all. We're also come at our, you know, we're at our rope's end. We've all tried this. Everyone's tried that or this, you know, to find relief. But really, there is no relief but in Jesus, but in his arms. See, again, the gospel is that he came to set you free. He came to die for you. He came to give you everlasting life. And you can receive it, but you just have to accept him. You have to realize that you're a sinner and understand that you've fallen short of the glory of God. There's absolutely nothing you can do in your own power to be saved. That's where Jesus steps in, and that's where the, the cross steps in, and he was whipped and crucified for you, and to set you free. He wants to give you that hope. And when you believe in him, when you trust in him, it may not come easy at first, but he, he fills you, the Lord fills you with his spirit. And his spirit just grows in you. And as it grows in you, you begin to walk more and more in faith and you begin to see that hope. That hope that maybe you never saw when you were living out in the world and when you were trying to do things on your own. And he ministers to you. He ministers to your heart. If you've never done that, if you've never accepted Jesus, I, I, I encourage you, when you get home, just fall on your knees and just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. And watch him do an amazing work in your life. I know that he's done that in mine. you'll see your life will never be the same. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we do, we thank you for your word and thank you for this story of, of Jairus and this woman and how you've given us a picture and shown us what faith looks like, what belief looks like, It's not about the garment. It's not about the, the bells and the sounds and anything like that. It's just about believing in Jesus. And thank you so much for that. Thank you for sending your son to come and die for our sins. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to make things right with you. Only you, God, 
can do that. I ask, Lord God, that if anybody's here that hasn't accepted you, that hasn't been touched by, by you or, has been he- or is hearing or watching this online, they may just understand and see who you are and they may accept Jesus as your Lord as their Lord and Savior and they may accept the free gift that you're offering through Jesus Christ Lord, we glorify and we thank you. We thank you that you raised this little girl from the dead. We thank you for the healing, for healing this woman and for ministering to Jarius and his entire family. I just pray that we, that you will minister to us in the same way, Lord, in those areas that we need, in those areas that we need comfort and that we need healing and that we need Embrace us as well, Lord. Lord, be with us the rest of this day, the rest of this week. May we just be a shining bright light in our places of work, in our schools. And just use us in a mighty way this week, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. We honor you with every word that we speak and in every, with every inch of our heart. Love you and praise you. In the name of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ.